Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I always say you need to take advice from people that have been where you want to go, who have experienced things you have yet to experience, or who can fully understand what you're trying to do in your business world and in your business life. So this episode is a treat because we're going to speak with Kenneth Berger, who is a wonderful technology professional who is now an executive coach that is just filled with wisdom. So we're popping over to San Francisco. Kenneth, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Hey, I know you've got some wonderful things you've done in your past. So just give our listeners just a little pop of things that you've seen and experienced in your career. Sure. So, um, you know, I was a startup founder myself, you know, sort of you know, built a team and raised money from top investors. Uh, I was the first product manager at Slack. So I went through that sort of rocket ship journey of, you know, growing, growing them from nothing to a big business. Um, and I worked at Adobe for many years. So that operating experience is kind of what inspired me to shift into coaching because I found myself wanting to make this work more sustainable, right? Because it can be really hard, especially that startup roller coaster, the up and down. So um, for the past seven years, I've been coaching startup leaders, founders, CEOs, executives. And Kenneth, I'm going to say something that might sound really weird. You're not, to me, the typical like tech type. I talk to lots of technology founders, lots of um, people that work within that startup environment. And you just have such a gentle quality about you. I, I don't know if Aww. that sounds funny. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a very relatable piece. And so some of the things that I have on my list that I want to talk about today that I found very compelling as I was getting to know you is I think a question we have to ask ourselves, because whether you're on that founder path or whether you're just a C-suite business builder being assertive and, and career building all the way, I love this phrase that you shared with me is, are we interested in doubling down on our path? So can you expand for our listeners a little bit more what's behind that statement? Sure. Yeah. So I think one one idea I often share with clients is that we can grow any way we want, right? And it, Because I think often we, we put ourselves into these very narrow set of circumscribed paths that we can only do this or only climb the ladder or sort of at the company we're at or in the industry we're at. But really, you know, our dreams can be whatever we want, and it may be slow or it may be fast. We may not get exactly what we want, but it is our choice which direction to go. And so I think often we don't we don't really acknowledge that when we look at our current path and say, okay, right, I could climb this ladder. I could get better at this set of skills I'd need to continue on this path. But is that what I want? Right. And, and to me, that's that's the question of like, oh, yeah, of course I could do it. But what am I trying to prove to anyone? Right. Like what's what's the purpose of getting better at this? Is it going to make the impact that I want to make in my life? Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's you know, we get so busy 
and we see so many opportunities and we're like, okay, well, I'm going here now. And particularly as you start to age in your, your career path and say, what's really important, which dovetails into another piece that I know you talk about is how we think that we know what we want and how we ask for we want in a more intentional way. Yeah, this is a topic very, very close to my heart um, because it sounds so simple, right? Of course, like we all already know how to ask for what we want, but I think it's something that we don't often think about as a practice, as something that we're going to get good at in the way that we might get good at any number of other skills in our life. Um, and to me, I, I break this down into sort of two broad categories, right? That you have people who are maybe not asking enough, right? You know, often these are the people pleasers in our life. And I think, you know, a, a lot of us have have that in our in ourselves, a part of our personality. And for those folks, they're saying, well, I want to focus on relationships, right? And so I'm a little bit hesitant to ask for what I want in a strong way or in a direct way, or especially in a repeated way, right? Because often to get what you want, you're going to need to ask again and again and again and again, right? If you want a very desirable job, probably you're going to have to interview a lot of places and make your case a lot of places. And so asking is not a one-time thing. It's something that you need to practice and build comfort with. And so I think that's sort of one side, right, on the people pleaser side. Then you have folks who I, I think of as control freaks. And I say that lovingly because I'm one of them. Um, but control freaks are up on the other side. They're asking for what they want all the time. If like, I want this, it should be this way, it should be this way. And often the challenge for them is they're not really hearing the no's, right? That Because people don't like saying no, right? And so that no often sounds more like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, sure, let me, you know, I'll think about that or we'll see or, uh, or, or even to say, yeah, I guess so, right? These things that sound like yes, but are actually no. Um, and for these folks, they're really missing an important part of that process that when we ask, we want to be learning about the feedback that we get. And if we just plow right through like a bulldozer and don't listen to all that subtlety that's telling us, oh yeah, I'm not really getting a yes here. And so like, what am I, if you're not listening to that, you're not learning about how to ask next, how to move forward, how to actually get what you want. Yeah. I think one of those pieces that I was not great at early in my career, I was always great with ambition, always great with being driven wasn't always really great at reading other people. And, mm -hmm. and so I do think when you talk about people that are on their path to the C-suite or on the path to their own startup journey, um, they might have a little edge of a blind spot there as well. Yeah. And I think for, for me, I often talk about it as expanding your range, right? It's not like it's not, you know, good in a certain way to be very focused on, on, asking for what you want aggressively in that control freak way. And it's not like it's not good to work on relationships the way that people pleasers do. The problem is, is when we're stuck in this very narrow range and say, no, I only work on building relationship or I only work on pushing for exactly what I want. When the reality is we need to sort of choose what's the right level of intensity or sort of mode of communication that's going to fit the moment, right? Because every, every situation, every context like that has a different need. And so the possibility is for people to expand their range. So they say, oh, it's not that I can only operate here. I have this whole set of choices that I can make in terms of how I influence other people. Well, let's pull back to that word that you used, intensity. Your expertise is coaching startup founders um, uh, as they're scaling up, which can be quite intense and people can be impacted by burnout. And I love how you say suffer needlessly. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about some of the things that are common themes 
for the people that you coach and that you help them on their journey? Well, you know, I think one thing that's, that's really important, that's a sort of like almost like a baseline requirement for a lot of the other types of, of growth that I talk about with clients is really being able to feel safe day to day and doing that sort of through a, you know, sort of an internal anchor versus external. And sort of what I mean by that is that I think often we're looking for something from the outside to feel okay, to say that, okay, as long as the people around me like me, I'll feel okay. Or as long as I'm killing my goals, I'll feel okay. Or as long as I have lots of money in the bank, or as long as I have fancy investors, then I'll feel okay, then I'll feel safe. And the problem with that is, is that when you're relying on these external indicators of success or feeling safe or okay, um, then you're you're kind of never really that safe because you're always a moment away from, oh gosh, like I could run out of money or I could lose the investors or I could lose the approval of this person. And so it ends up feeling really stressful. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, in a corporate job that's more stable, you might be more able to sort of maintain these consistent external sources of safety. But in a startup job, and especially in a startup leadership role, where things are changing all the time and you have so little control about what your employees are doing, what your customers are doing, what's happening in the market, it can be really hard to feel safe. And so, you know, a lot of the work that we do at that deep level is about finding that deep internal sense of safety, which is not to say, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be fine because I have all this money in the bank, but to say, I trust myself to handle whatever comes. I don't know what's going to happen, right? I'm not going to pretend that I can predict the future. I have my guesses, you know, I have my data, but I'm going to trust myself to handle whatever comes. Because guess what? I've handled everything that came in my life before this. So why wouldn't I trust myself the rest of the time out? And that can be such a powerful transformation because you're no longer looking outside to say, oh, I have to get this thing to feel okay. And that, you know, talking about needless suffering, right? That just erases this whole set of fear and stress that maybe we don't even fully notice or articulate because it's just sitting in the background all day versus being in this place where you say, yeah, you know, we might run out of money or we might have some disaster. And you know what? I trust myself to handle it if and when that comes. Kenneth, you just, you sound like such the, the, the startup CEO whisperer, because I know you have that solid business strength that if you want to talk to them about um, their business goals, but to have this very human side that you're coaching them on is, is so valuable. Um, can you give us another example of something that your clients seem to struggle with as they're on their path? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think, I think one, one thing there is, is around entitlement. Um, and I touched on this a little bit with the sort of, you know, sort of control freak, you know, sort of profile, um, but I think a lot of us come into situations, even if we don't intend to, feeling feeling entitled to having things a certain way, right? And so a very natural one is like, okay, let's say, you know, you're a founder, you you hire a VP, and you expect them to do what you want, right? Or to take your feedback and and sort of do it your way, or or sort of take your decision. And I'm sure you know as well as I do, right, is no matter what these, you know, no, no matter what the level of these people are, they don't obey. People are very stubborn, right? <laughs> They're going to do whatever they want. And so that's another one of those things that can produce a lot of suffering is coming in with this entitlement of like, they're my employee. Of course, they should do what I do. Like, you know, and people will even get mad at me, say, Kenneth, how can you call that entitlement? Like, this is such a basic thing, right? My employees should do what I ask them to. And I get that, right? Of course, how can you not have compassion for that? Very reasonable expectation. And yet 
coming in with the entitlement that, oh, I should get that for free, as opposed to, oh, that's something that I get through relationship building, through boundary setting, through expectation setting, through doing all these things that actually will lead to sort of getting more of the results you want or being able to influence people better. But, you know, the, the suffering comes from coming in saying, oh, no, I, you know, I, I'm owed this, you know, and the fact that they're not giving it to me automatically, I should get it for free. What the, what the heck's wrong with them? Um, and so the work is to let go of that entitlement and say, oh, man, I don't get anything for free. And so I need to figure out how to get the things that I want and how to articulate those things in a clear way to other people. Kenneth, I always say we need a different word for leadership because to lead implies that everybody's following and that is so not it as I mean, I do, I have those days as a quote unquote leader where you just want to put your head in your hands and go, no one is doing what I want them to do. <laughs> and it's, and it's not a failure point. It's just everybody exerting their human nature. And, and so if there's not a what's in it for them, or if they don't feel love and spoken to the right way, or they feel that you've missed a piece of information. I mean, it's, it's such difficult work. <laughs> it really is. And the good news is, of course, there there's lots of ways to build that relationship, to build influence, to communicate with people. And, you know, that's all the stuff we work on. But I think that attitude shift from the, I'm entitled to this, I should get this for free, it's everyone else's fault for not giving me what I, what I expect I should be given, to, yeah, well, you know, you want to build a company, right? You have to hire the right people and train them and build a culture and set expectations and give feedback and even let people go if you make a mistake in hiring, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all part of what creates the environment where you're actually going to be able to have the influence you want. Yeah, I want to flip and, and talk about confidence because driven people, ambitious people, people that start companies, um, you know, they still have confidence issues. And I think it's just that they're more masked for the general public to see. Um, yeah. Any comments on confidence issues in some of the individuals that you work with or how you help them make sure they maintain it. And I think it's just a, it's a tangent to the feeling safe example that you gave, you know, your internal anchors, but still, um, you know, CEOs who have to go out and pitch VCs and have to, you know, be that leader to their, their team that um, might not see the profits coming in as fast as they think. How do you help them with some of their confidence issues? So great question. Of course, you know, the, the, you know, I think imposter syndrome is one of these sort of universal experiences, right? Even at the executive level. Um, and, you know, I think, I think a lot of what, what looks like confidence on the outside it often looks a lot different on the inside, right? Because I think especially my more tentative, you know, clients I work with will often say, oh, you know, I look at this person who's so proud and loud about exactly what they think in every meeting, man, I wish I had what they had, right? And then I work with people like that, right? And it's not that their life is free and easy, right? Often they're the person with all that entitlement, right? And they're the ones that are saying, well, yeah, I say what I want in meetings, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I get it. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that people feel positively towards me, because if I'm just shouting off all the time exactly what I want, not listening to other people, I'm not going to build great relationships, which are how you actually sort of put these things into practice. And so I think, again, it gets a little bit to that yin and yang of like, well, OK, confidence isn't just. 
being loud and proud all the time. That's not enough, right? You really need to have both, both the sort of finesse and empathy and care to sort of, you know, build strong relationships with people and the sort of, you know, honoring of your own desires to say, yeah, if I want something, even if it annoys someone else or ruffles a few feathers, I'm going to go ahead and stand for it anyway, because I want to be out there with what I believe, whether or not I get it. Um, and I think the irony is that, you know, these things on the surface that can look like confidence, like, you know, speaking, you know, very plainly about what you think. Mm -hmm. To me, the, the the most, you know, the most confident statement is I don't know, right, is to be vulnerable, right, to to sort of show that, yeah, like, I don't need to pretend that I know everything or that, you know, I know, you know, exactly how things are supposed to go or what's going to happen. Um, and I think that, you know, even even VCs will respond to that, right, because they'll say, all right, you have you have things that you, you know, you think, you know, right. You have your projections. And when you acknowledge that you don't have every piece of information, but instead say, yeah, I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but here are some different scenarios I've thought through and here's how I'm going to handle them. There's a way in which even that I don't know can be, you know, sort of actually like a vote of confidence to say, yeah, of course I don't know. Right. I'm not going to pretend that I can predict the future. Yeah. One of the things I teach my staff all the time when it comes to like customer service or, um, feeling that they've been put on the spot is I think there's this great answer you can always give that says, I think I know that answer, but you know what? I would rather check and make sure and let me follow back up with you. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure it's the correct information, um, nice. you know, so that people don't have to feel on the spot in the moment, um, but also don't have to feel like they're lacking credibility um, because that is something that we all have, a problem with if you don't want to see you don't want other people to see you that you're not credible it it just especially again if you're leading a business and you want people to feel confident in the direction you don't want to chink in your credibility armor uh kenneth i want to jump and talk about decision fatigue because this is something that i think is what i struggle with the the most again as you grow in your career you you become very self-aware and you know when you are starting to hit your blind spots, but decision fatigue as a leader in today's business environment is just a, a killer. Yep. So in our own decision fatigue, to, to me, what that comes from, you know, most often is really attachment to outcome, right? And it's natural because of course, you know, you talk to, to investors or partners they they ask you to predict the future. They say, "All right, what's what what are your what are your numbers going to be next quarter, right? Or like, what's your margin going to be, or whatever whatever questions they might be asking." And so we're sort of stuck in this difficult scenario where you know others expect us to predict the future. We ask ourselves to predict the future, and the reality is we can't, right? Like we can have best guesses. We can have all this data we collect. We can be pretty sure, eighty percent sure, ninety percent sure, but we can't really be sure. And I think that's often what makes this decision-making so tiring, the sense of, oh, like I'm expected to predict the future. I'm trying to make a decision that's going to produce the best outcome, but I just don't know. I'm always making a best guess, right? Even if it's a very educated guess. And so, you know, one of the shifts that, you know, that my clients often end up going through is from focusing on outcomes to focusing on making the decision the right way. Because you can't control the outcome, right? Like you can you can have sort of directionality towards getting the outcome that you want, you know, having more data, making a better decision. But really, in the end, it is about how you make the decision. And I think that that's something where 
even if you make a decision you're not happy with later, you say, oh, like, I wish we'd known, like this had a bad outcome, you know, it was unfortunate. At least you can say, I was proud of my decision, right? We had all the data we could. I made the best decision I could, given the information I had at the time, given the priorities I had at the time. And so that way, even if the outcome is objectively bad, you can feel good about yourself and your leadership. And so that's something that I think can be a great salve in making all these decisions because you're not holding yourself anymore to, I have to predict the future with 100% accuracy, but I just have to make the best decision I can. And that's really all any of us can do. So Kenneth, you have this, this career where you were sharing um, that you were you know, one of those early individuals working at Slack. Um, you were a co-founder yourself of, of businesses. Why go to executive coaching? You know, you can have this profitable career as this, um, you know, technology industry luminary and you're flipped the switch and you are, you know, pouring yourself into other people. Tell us a little bit about that journey and the why. It's really about impact for me that, you know, it, I, I, I found myself in this funny place, right? Where, you know, I, I was... You know, I I was out of Slack. You know, after unfortunate you know exit scenario, um, and I was in this ironic situation where you know I had all the job opportunities I could ever want, right? Because I was Slack was a hot company. Everyone wanted to talk to ex Slack people. There were barely any of us at that point, um, and so I could interview anywhere I wanted. I had all these interviews for you know fancy VP product jobs, you know opportunities to be a founder again, and. I felt terrible about myself, right? Because I was in a really low point in my career. I was so burned out from just these difficult relationships I'd had, you know, both with the CEO at Slack, you know, with my co-founder at my business before that. And so it got me really thinking about, you know, what impact do I want to make? My wife was pregnant at the time, you know, to make it all more complicated. Um, and so when I looked at, okay, you know, I'm a pretty good product leader, right? Like I could go make an impact in terms of building product for the market. But there's a lot of great product leaders out there, right? There's a, pot, a lot of people that want that job, um, you know, that, that that have passion around it. And I just didn't see as many people who are working on making that job sustainable, right? And that was the stuff that I was more interested in, right? Of having those vulnerable conversations with the teams I was working with saying, yeah, how do we make you feel more okay day to day? So yeah, we can go and change the world in the way that we all want to, you know, as entrepreneurs, and do it in a way where you don't burn out after two years, right? Where you can do it for 10 or 20 years if you want to. And so that was really what made me make the shift was thinking about, all right, if I'm going to do something hard in my life for my next step, like what's the impact that's going to really make a difference and that feels more unique to me as opposed to something that anyone can do. And like, am I the best product leader in the world? I don't know. I was fine. <laughs> I want to say there's a tangent to burnout and the tangent to burnout is fear, I learned at, at one point in my career that once you start operating in a place of fear, it's it's almost like a, a self-prediction, like it's going to come true. Like if you operate in a place of fear of I'm going to lose my job or I'm, you know, I, I fear because my boss doesn't like me or I fear because nobody's going to invest in me it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, unfortunately. And and so I think there's there's those two pieces, one recognizing the burnout, but also recognizing, and fear is different than, you know, shaky confidence. Fear is very different. Yeah. Um, but, 
you need to make sure you do not operate in a place of fear because once you go to this place of, of fear, that's really hard to get out of and recover from. So for me, I, I see it a little bit differently in that, you know, I think everyone gets scared every day, right? And so for me, it's less like, oh, you can't get scared, but more that, you know, we, we you know, our job is to build mindfulness around when we get scared. So instead of believing the fear, right, because that's the real, mm -hmm. that's the real danger, right? Is to say, yeah. oh my gosh, like I'm worried, I'm worried my boss hates me. And all of a sudden, instead of being worried about it, I believe that that's true. I'm like, oh yeah, my boss must hate me. And so I'm going to make all these decisions based on this belief that this fear is true versus catching myself and saying, oh, I'm doing that thing again, right? Right, where I get scared and I start to believe the fear and things blossom and get bigger and scarier and to say, oh, yeah, I'm doing that thing again. No big deal, back on the horse, right? Yeah, 100%, 100%. You've got to shift yourself out of that mindset. Well, Kenneth, we are coming up on our time and and I'd really love to hear What's next for you? What What's the next thing that you're putting out into the world? Sure. So, you know, part of part of why, you know, I, I wanted to chat was, you know, I'm really testing out these ideas around asking for what you want for a book that I'm in the process of writing. Um, that's really about, you know, that that process of how to ask for what you want and sort of learn from that process in a really effective way. Um, and that goes deep into like what that experience is like, how we work through our personal internal barriers and boundaries to sort of give ourselves that freedom to both build great relationships and take a strong stand for what we want in the world. So um, feel free to, you know, if you're interested in chatting about coaching or those topics, uh, folks are welcome to reach out at kberger.com. That's K-B-E-R-G-E-R. -E -E it's my website. Or you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn uh, for Kenneth Berger. Well, hey, we appreciate you dropping by and just your wealth of information. And we're so happy to have you in the Disruptive CEO Nation um, network. So to our listeners, if Kenneth said something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode. If there's another disruptive and innovative CEO you think we should need to speak to, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until we speak again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Kenneth, thank you again. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. I'm grateful. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.